0: What if we could transform the experience of being a woman chiropractor from one of constant stress and burnout, trying to juggle all the things to one of ease, energy, and thriving both in business and in life. I'm your host, Dr. Alex Swenson-Ridley. I'm a woman DC who became one of the one in five chiropractors who burn out in practice by year seven. To the outside world, I achieved the financial and business success only 1% of the profession reaches but the reality was it left me bruised and battered, both emotionally and physically. Today, I help other women chiropractors revitalize their body and practice by stepping into their unique power and rewriting the rules so that they can thrive at home and in business. What we do is far too important for so many of us to struggle and burn out. And this show brings you the conversations, lessons, and permission to be you, redefine success, and transform the experience of being a female chiropractor. Let's dive in.
1: Hello, welcome back to the show. I am very excited to be joined today by Dr. Danielle Angela, who is someone I have followed and been around on social media for years, but I'm just getting to talk to for the first time on here. And so if you're not familiar with her, Dr. Danielle is a holistic chiropractor and hypnotherapist. She's based in Union, Missouri. She graduated from Logan College of Chiropractic in 2008, and in her initial years of practice, she worked in a multidisciplinary sports medicine center on Logan's campus, where she also helped future graduates start their practices. After Danielle became a mom, she left her role as assistant director of sports and rehabilitation and ventured into private practice. And in 2017, she founded Alliance uh, Aligned Women, a nonprofit that offers women in health and wellness professions access to expert business coaching at nominal fees. Mm. So, Dr. Danielle, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to hear. Um, so, I know we have kind of similar things we talk about, different journeys, and like the the whole topic of women healthcare business and Burnout <laughs> is broad. So, you know, I know you've been around the world for a while. So I asked for a little bit of your journey. And I am kind of curious what what led to aligned women actually? Let's start there. because um, I know that
2: well, yeah. So I I as I intro said, <laughs> I'd been working at mm-hmm. um, the university, the chiropractic university that I graduated from and um, had my first child and then really like went back to work and just felt so out of integrity with my role because, um, my, my coworkers, my supervisor, they were all supportive of, you know, like me now being a mother to a very small child at that time. (laughs) But I didn't feel, um, well now I can look back and say, I didn't feel deserving of the flexibility to you know not work on the weekends anymore or to not travel like i had been before i had my daughter so i i I was like feeling out of integrity with having the same role the same pay and then you know kind of getting like to slide under the radar a little bit in my position because I had a baby at home and it just kind of all brought me to this place of like, wait, why did I even choose this career in the first place? It wasn't to be working in a university, although it was a really, um, great job to have. And I was very fortunate to have that, that position so early in my career, especially because unlike entrepreneurship, (laughs) I had a steady salary. I had a corner office with windows, um, which I felt like I had worked for, you know, like achieving that <laughs> for so many years, being able to see the sunlight while I was working was just like, so refreshing. Um, but despite all that, I, I still wanted to have more freedom and more flexibility. So I left my steady paycheck and started my own practice and wanted to have a more flexible schedule. But what I ended up finding after a couple of years was not... I had not created more freedom. I had, um, you know, really been driven to grow my practice quickly because I have a marketing background from before chiropractic. So I knew how to do that. And I was really afraid of failure. So I was just working and working and working and working to make sure that I was making enough money to pay all the bills. And it was on the outside, it looked great because, you know, my practice was growing so quickly. My colleagues, my like, classmates, they were all asking me, how are you doing this so quickly? And I was like, I'm just working really hard, I guess. I don't know. And, um, Mm -hmm. I didn't have a specific strategy or long-term vision. I was just like nose, like head down, nose to the grindstone, just grinding it out every day. Mm -hmm. And I believed that that was what I needed to do. But then, um, unexpectedly, I suppose as unexpectedly as it can be, I conceived my second pregnancy and then um, miscarried that pregnancy at about 10 weeks. And then um, eight weeks later, I was pregnant again. And when I was pregnant for that third time, I was like, put the brakes on everything because all I want now is to have a healthy baby. I don't care about anything else. I just want this baby to be healthy. I carried a lot of guilt about the pregnancy that I lost because I felt like Mm -hmm. so many women do it was my fault. I was, you know, too stressed. I was working too hard. I have a physically demanding job, et cetera, et cetera. So that was a big part of why I was so determined to have a healthy pregnancy that next time around. So at that point, I just decided to sell my practice. I was like, I'm just, I just want out of here. (laughs) I (laughs) I don't care what happens next. I just want to have a healthy baby. And you know, most of the time when people sell their practice, They are strategic about it and they're like trying to sunset their career, retire, et cetera. I was just like, whatever can get me out of here. The fastest is what I want to do. And another doctor that I had known actually since both of us, before both of us went to chiropractic school, came along and um, he and I talked about it and we agreed like he was going to take over my practice. I handed him the keys. And then I just basically like, Chilled out. I was teaching part time as an adjunct at a couple of schools, which felt like a way easier schedule than what I had been doing, you know, before. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, he, after only a few months, decided that he wanted to move to Asia and he closed the practice. So, um, things did not go the way that I had hoped that they would. And, you know, I continued to feel like obligated to the patients that had been under our care to have done better for them. But also at that point, there was really nothing that I could do about it either. What was done was done. So, um, after I had my second daughter, she was my third pregnancy. I just took a little bit of time to sort of like recalibrate. I knew that I still wanted to be a business owner, I didn't want to do things the way I had been doing them in practice. I didn't want to be in the same four walls every day. I didn't want to never see, you know, the sunlight or like the sunset or if it was raining outside to like have no freaking clue because I have no windows. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just, I really wanted to be able to prioritize my health and my family in a way that I hadn't been able to, or at least I hadn't felt like I'd been able to. Um, when I was doing what I thought, you know, we were supposed to do to be successful Mm -hmm. in chiropractic long story short. I just like read a lot of books and podcasts, listened to podcasts and started to think like, if, if I applied what I hear from all these entrepreneurs outside of chiropractic to chiropractic business, I think I could do this differently. I could have more time freedom. If I do this differently, I could, um, you know, be more present with my family. If I, take what I'm hearing and reading from these other people outside of our industry and apply it to practice. And so then I did that. And within it was less than the first three months of having my second practice open, it was profitable. And I was like, well, this is a thing. (laughs) This is, this is so different. And I was only working in the practice, like at most 15 hours a week maybe it was like mm-hmm. 10 to 12 hours a week. It was a like totally different experience because before I had been yeah. working like 60 or 70 hours a week
1: mm-hmm.
2: <clears throat> and my expenses were much higher. So that's how line women came to be. I I was like I want to teach other people how mm-hmm. I'm doing this because it was just like oh, this is so simple and so it can be easy. It doesn't necessarily feel easy because the the stories are ahead are, we've got to work hard. We've got to work harder than ever, you know, and like we're going to have to sacrifice. But all that hard work and sacrifice can only last for so long before people find themselves feeling really burned out. And physically, I don't have the kind of constitution where I can suffer for a really, really, really long time. Like many other people that I know they can just wear down their bodies and sort of mentally push through it. I can only do that for a short period of time before I'm like, no, nope, no more suffering. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. So now here we are. (laughs) Here we are. I love it. It's always,
1: you know, what I'm really of the opinion that women in our profession kind of hold the keys to transforming some of the high rates of burnout that we see because we aren't willing to do that. I mean, a lot of us have done it. I did the same thing. Like my son was actually born five weeks early. This is something I don't think we talk about enough is like how hard practice is on our bodies. But, um, you know, my son came five weeks early. I had a horrendous pregnancy and I was in a super toxic associateship at the time. And I didn't understand that like no one could, I was a healthy 28 year old who just run a marathon. Like, you know, I, There was nothing wrong with me, but he was born early and we spent a week in NICU and it was hell and it was from the stress of that environment. And then I didn't learn from that. I went on and started my practice when he was six weeks old and built this thing that just snowballed out of my control. It was like every year we double or tripled in revenue, like gross, you know, what we were billing out and, and collecting, but my overhead was super high and I didn't understand a whole lot of stuff and it wasn't my... I wasn't involved. It was everyone else's dream. And everyone's like, oh, that's, you know, a good problem to have. I'm like, yeah, but like this thing's just growing and I don't know what it is and I don't really want to be doing it. And so I kind of not quite like you, but I, you know, I had a realization when I was pretty trapped I'd bought a six thousand square foot building and the day that we moved into it, I walked up to my office and just sat down and cried because I I was falling apart. My wrist was torn in six places. My hormones were a mess. I lost my voice every day. My hair was falling out. I was putting on weight and I was just, as was a single mom at that point and I was just miserable and I didn't know how to get out. And I think as women, you know, we get pulled finally and often it's by our kids to do something differently. And that's where we really actually have power to transform what the experience of business and practice looks like for
2: us. Yeah. If there's one thing that will motivate, um, a mother to do something different Mm -hmm. for children. Yeah. Big time, which, you know, we should be able to do it for ourselves, but
1: I think a lot of times we need to pull something else. And yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 My, you know, I kind of go back and forth on this. Like I would love to see women step into different ways like different models of success in practice so that they don't mm-hmm. find themselves suffering like you and I have. Yeah. but unfortunately, just like our patients where sometimes they just they only come to us when they're desperate for help, mm-hmm. sometimes that's you know, it seems actually in a lot of cases that's the journey that women have to take like they're they are going to yeah. get themselves into positions where, things are so bad and so yucky that they're then forced to make decisions that they could have made before, but they just didn't Mm -hmm. feel were accessible or, you know, reasonable or they didn't have like a valid enough excuse. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do
1: any of us really need an excuse to not work? You know, I I see posts in all the the women's chiropractors groups. It's like, "How, how do I not, you know, work less? Just, Shorten your hours, like, geez, sorry, you're not, you're not seeing people all of the time that you're in the office. So like, yes. yeah, you have to make the decision But it can be challenging. So in all this, I know when we were first talking, you have like, there's, I feel like burnout is just this journey that I've been on and there's all these different pieces <laughs> and whatnot. So I thought it would be fun for us to just discuss like, what's the thing that's most on your mind around all of practice burnout, being a woman in a man's world, any of those things that we want to dive into today because <laughs> I know you yeah. to talk about it a lot.
2: The The biggest thing for me right now, and and this is probably on my mind because this is, I've kind of like been going through my next level experience with burnout in a way where like my life is really good. And yet a few months ago, I was like, I'm not feeling happy with how I'm spending my time. And, you know, a lot of that time is, as we've talked about a few times already, like in a small room that has no windows. And I, when I'm in there for hours a day, I feel weird. I just don't feel optimally healthy. And I've been in this place of like, Dancing around that in a way where where, like, oh well, maybe I just need to move my office to a different location where I can see outside. But really, that's not it. It's like I want to have more time freedom than I've even had mm-hmm. over the last few years. There's like a next level calling to me. And and yet it's very easy to convince myself that I need to push through it. I need to keep doing yeah. what I'm doing because it's how I, you know, pay the bills. It's like what I'm known for doing. And I'm a single mom now for the last year and I need to be responsible. (laughs) And that story is so strong in me because I'm an oldest child of many, many siblings. And, you know, I've always been the responsible one, Um, but always being the responsible one for everyone else is exhausting. Very. Yeah. And now, you know, almost in my mid forties, I'm like, "Mm -mm, nope. (laughs) If it's not fun and exciting, if it doesn't allow me to have as much room as I want to take care of my health, the way that I want and need to, so that I'm thinking about my longevity and how you know, like, what shape I will be in (laughs) figuratively. And literally, I guess when my kids are, when my daughters are having their own children, um, that's, that's the goal right now. Right. Is like,
0: yeah.
2: Um, protecting my longevity, not just so that I live a long life, but like, so that, you know, in 20 years from now, my oldest will be 32. So I would assume that if she wants to have children, she'll be around that time. Right. And no matter where she is, I want to be able to just go to her. If she needs help, I want to yeah. be there. So that's like my, my motivator. And I don't want to wait until. She's 32 and I'm 62 (laughs) to, to have that space. I want to be able to have Mm -hmm. it now. Yeah. So,
1: all right, let's, let's unpack what this looks like for you. Cause I, you know, I, I've been reflecting on this a couple of times. It's come up in like masterminds. I'm part of her. I just recorded another interview before we were recording this. And the idea of slowing down to speed up and I know for me like when I came I fully left practice even though I was only practicing like a day and a half a week and came home and I actually homeschool my child now but I would like sit there like I need to be doing something what am I I'm supposed to be doing something right now like why is my schedule so empty and it's taken me a long time to be like I have white space and I can do whatever the heck I want and now it's like I have a hard time shifting back into actually going (laughs) it's like I split so far down like I have a hard time speeding up again. And so I'm wondering like what that journey has looked like for you. Cause we get so stuck in, you know, we're supposed to be high volume and we're supposed to be busy and we're supposed to do all this. So, and, but we want the space. And then when we create the space, we don't actually know what to do with the space. So I'm just curious what that looked like in your world.
2: Yeah. yeah. Having this space is actually super uncomfortable because our nervous systems, yeah. you know, it's the, it's the water in the ditch theory, right? Like our nervous systems get, primed or like trained in a sense to operate in a certain way. And then when you, when you don't have a super full schedule, it feels like something is wrong. It literally feels dangerous. Mm -hmm. It's like signaling to you that you are unsafe. So then we go create things to do to fill the time to really (laughs) like not numb, but like to avoid the discomfort. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So that's a, uh, that's a very interesting place to be in because, you know, for us, even as chiropractors, we're aware of how the nervous system works and we still get fooled by it all the time. Yes, <laughs> we still, do. we still don't see like when our thought process, our feelings, our emotions, our behaviors are being driven by our, our nervous systems need to keep us safe. And so mm-hmm. because we're operating from that, like very primal, um, system which is a very healthy thing to do but like it's not how we've evolved over you know the last hundreds or thousands of years we don't have to always be kept safe like we used to as humans we're generally pretty safe all the time thankfully but our nervous system is still looking for the the um what is unsafe to us constantly so um The only thing that I can really say as like a remedy for that is that we have to work to increase our capacity. So if just sitting down for for okay, this is a great example. Someone might as a coach or like a therapist advise someone to meditate. They should do half an hour of meditation a day, right? And then the person is like, okay, I'm supposed to meditate. So they sit down and they close their eyes and within like two minutes, if they even make it that long, they're thinking all the thoughts (laughs) and they're like, oh my gosh, I need to do something. Like, it's not okay for me to just be this still. I need to like write down my to-do list or go do the dishes or I I could be doing the laundry. That would be a better use of my time. Etc., etc. So, 30 minutes is a really big window of time for someone that is used to constantly being busy. So, instead, I have people start with like 17 seconds, 20 seconds, just really creating it like an intentional, very short period of time that's within their window of tolerance that they are just doing nothing. They're breathing. Yeah. Right. And I don't even call it meditation because then they feel like there's a box to check and, and you know, they can get, also get sort of absorbed and, um checking that box. Well, I've got to make it to 30 minutes so I can check the box, but instead of really like being present, they're just focused on trying to achieve the thing. And, and achieving the things and doing the things is how we got feeling this way in the first place. Right. So that's the prescription is <laughs> <It's> to just <laughs> do nothing and to do nothing consistently in the smallest, no, in the largest window that you can tolerate, even if that's only a few seconds. And then just work at expanding that window of tolerance until it widens and it becomes bigger, I've really been expanding my window of tolerance (laughs) over the last few months. Um, And, you know, it doesn't always look like doing nothing. For me, a way that I am expanding my window of tolerance is by watching TV or movies Mm -hmm. because my mind will say there are better things I could be doing with my time. And, well, you know, in some cases, like I watched a movie this weekend that I was like, that was almost a three-hour movie and I didn't really like it. <laughs> I could have gotten something else done with that. T- like, even if it was just reading a book, I c- I would have mm-hmm. like rather have read a book with that time than have watched that movie. I could have gone my whole life without seeing that movie and I would have been okay. But watching TV, watching a movie just because I can, just because I'm like practicing doing something that's not outwardly productive is a practice for me as weird as that might sound yeah. i i wouldn't watch tv or movies for years because yeah there are more important things to do mm-hmm. and as a consequence of that <laughs> i'm really <laughs> not good at the movie and trivia or the um the movie and tv category at trivia nights <laughs> at all <laughs> <laughs> so now you're giving yourself permission to
1: Engage in that. But I think you bring up a good point. And this is something I've been experiencing and exploring is, you know, we think that we have to be busy in order to be productive. And a lot of times we get busy doing the things that really don't matter. And so I've been really leaning into this edge of like some of the most important things that I've been doing, just to to bridge off your example. Like I've been on a trauma healing journey for the last 18 months or so. And a lot of that is doing nothing or allowing yourself to. Veg out and watch Netflix. So I just recorded an episode about this, actually. But you know, over the July Fourth weekend, I unworked like this huge amount of grief and physical, mm-hmm. emotional pain that I hadn't processed because I've been numb for years, and it's all related to my practice still. And so mm-hmm. it like came up, and I really I have the tools now and the capacity to kind of allow it to roll and and just be with it. And it took a lot out of me, so I spent all day Thursday and Friday in my pajamas reading and just allowed that to be okay and like i'm in a, a place where i can create that space for myself and i know those of us who have a practice we have to show up to or you know I don't necessarily have that and yet you do like we can always make the choice right like there's when i went through my divorce i actually didn't go to work for two months because i just couldn't emotionally handle being around people in that way i felt like i couldn't serve and fortunately i had associates who could take over for me but like we mm-hmm. have to it's Giving yourself the permission to utilize those things, yeah, do nothing
2: or binge the yeah. Netflix.
1: Like, <laughs> it's all. A lot.
2: I, I had a similar experience last summer on the weekend of my birthday. Uh, my birthday must have been on a Friday last year. It was, and I gathered with some friends on Zoom, and one of them just downloaded this like message to me that was really deep. It was really impactful. And it had to do with um, my abandonment wounds and, like, um, not having my biological father in my life really ever. And I had never looked at it through the perspective that she offered to me before. And I spent the rest of the weekend crying. And. I was actually really thankful. I wasn't, you know, some people might be like, oh my gosh, she must have said something really terrible. It wasn't. It was actually so beautiful. And it was such a gift that she was able to have that insight and offer it to me. And I was also Mm -hmm. in a place where I could receive it because I had been carrying that with me for 42 years (laughs) and had never process that and i'm still processing that that new awareness right of like
1: Mm -hmm.
2: oh wow yeah it must have been pretty impactful for me to have not had a my biological father in my life ever really um you know, to not have like the physical presence of a father, for example. And then also how that plays into all of the other things we're talking about. Like, yeah. because there wasn't a strong masculine presence in my life, I became that strong masculine presence. So I was mm-hmm. like overworking, overfunctioning very much in my masculine energy all of the time because it wasn't present anywhere else. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not necessarily fun. <laughs> <laughs> by like <laughs> extreme standards to work through the things that, that get us into a state of feeling overwhelmed or burned out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so necessary. And I look at it from this perspective of like, if we're brave enough to allow ourselves the space to work through trauma healing yeah. that, um, we're, we can, we can better facilitate that for other people and hold space for other people as they go through their process. So essentially we're just, we're, we're creating space for everyone to heal when we allow ourselves to do that.
1: Yeah. And and I've come to see that as like the most important thing I can do as an entrepreneur and business, because unless you create that space, you keep coming up against these things that You know, I think we tend to attach story and attach whatever to it. But really, it's like if we're willing to go inside and do the inner work as it comes up or, you know, there's always going to be layers. (laughs) I'm always going to think new things. But when you're willing to do that, like you will. There's no way to not be successful. right? You're going to create the thing that really serves the authentic version of yourself and not hit glass ceiling. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And what is success, right? yeah whether success every every person deserves to be able to define that for themselves and to be intentional and conscious of what success means to them most of us just sort of accept a um, an ascribed definition yeah. of us right that like for a chiropractic practice you should be seeing a thousand patient visits a week you should have four associate mm-hmm. doctors like and you know you're successful? Because who?
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I, I came out of school like, oh, I'm going to see 300 a week. And, you know, that was like my vision. And I hit 130. And I was like, screw this. I am freaking exhausted. <laughs> like, there's no way I can keep this up long term. Yeah. Yeah.
2: 130 is still a lot, in my opinion. i It's <laughs> <throw around laughs> nuts. Not- it's a week gap. I'm like... this is exhausting (laughs) yeah yeah
1: it is and uh, you know I think a lot of it is shifting the conversation to allow that definition of success to change and to match what feels good like if it doesn't feel good then why are we doing it and I think you know some people get on this whole thing about millennials not wanting to work and I'm not I'm well I guess I'm technically in a millennial by like three weeks but I don't really identify with that generation (laughs) but it's like it's mm-hmm. not about that. It's like we should enjoy and feel good doing what we do with our days every day. And yeah. you know, if you don't, then it's time to reevaluate some things.
2: Who wants to go to a care provider that isn't actually lit up and excited about what they're doing? <sighs> yeah. Or I any mean, Western, like any Western medical doctor, <laughs> like you can find that pretty much. But
1: we shouldn't be sure. in that home.
2: So Yeah. Yeah. That's the antithesis to chiropractic because, you know, if, if like the true essence of chiropractic is to turn the power on in your body, mm-hmm. you have to, you don't, I don't want to say you have to, cause I don't like to, I don't like to propagate that message of like, you've got to be a certain way going to take that back, but we can, in my opinion, best serve best, help people turn that power on in them when we are coming from that place ourselves and we're operating from that space as much as possible. And I mean, let's be real to like, like be in your fullest expression, uh, to like be, um, excited about what you're doing. You also have to have a lot of space to recover. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. um, I've found over the years that I'm far from alone in how introverted I am. And I can, I guess I can be an ambivert because like I can do these kinds of things. I've hosted a podcast since 2015. I've done hundreds of podcast interviews. And yet while I can be outward like that and I can, you know, do things that create a lot of visibility, I need a lot of space to recover from them as well. And just kind of like not have any sensory input as much as possible for a given period of time. And I used to think, you know, I must be the only one who's like this, but I've found that like practically every female chiropractor that I've talked to says the same thing. Like they, they actually identify as being very introverted. Very few say that they're not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry I certainly relate to you in a big way and I had to learn
1: like going home at the end of the day I needed to not talk to anybody for 30 minutes to an hour so if I walked into you know my husband or my kid just like yeah it did not go well <laughs> yeah and you know for those listening like we have to learn you know and each for each of us can be different but we have to learn how to protect our space for our own energy. And so that we can show up. So if that means that you only show up in the office two times a week, but you are on when you're there because you have the space to recover in between, then that's what that means. So that's
2: fine. You know, it's
1: about finding your
2: flow. There's all kinds of things that we can, um, you know, feel bad, feel guilty, make ourselves wrong for needing or wanting, but what's the point? Yeah. Actually, I was just on a call this morning um, where the person that was facilitating, we were talking about being clear on your why and some people were struggling and kind of feeling like, okay, we did the exercise. I still don't know my why. And she asked them and she offered this question to all of us. What is the payoff of not knowing your why? Right. So that's a very common coaching question that I use when someone is like, They've decided that they want to do something, but then they don't do the thing. And then they're like, well, I can't because of this or that or this. And I can hear the threat of excuses <laughs> and all mm-hmm. of those reasons. And I ask them, what is the payoff of continuing to do this thing you don't like to do? What's the payoff? Yeah. And that's a, that can be kind of a jarring question to answer, but... Um, but also very important to answer when yeah. our feeling overwhelmed. What's the payoff of feeling overwhelmed? Um, being in a constant state of overwhelm can keep us from like being our biggest, brightest selves, right? If you weren't overwhelmed, what would you be doing instead? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. We're not constantly overwhelmed what would you be able to do that you're you say you're not able to do now because you're already too overwhelmed right Mm -hmm. um there's so many different directions we we could go with it but it's a really important question it's a it's like so key to be able to use that and you know um it's not something that you can necessarily say to like your spouse and get a good result (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's not something that like anyone can ask you at any time. It, it's a question that's very delicate because it can really bring mm-hmm. up some things that can be hard to face. Yeah. And I know I've had
1: points where even asking, cause I, you know, I've learned that question, like what's the payoff and use it with clients too, where I, in certain areas I have a hard time even getting to like, what's the pay? payoff because it's you know I'm protecting myself from whatever that is hardcore. And so I was just gonna tag on to that. Like I think the book Worthy that I read recently talked about anytime you say I can't replace it with I'm not willing to. And when you mm-hmm. do that, then you can get to like that's another just trick to get underneath the oh, what's really under this? What am I not willing to do and why am I not willing to do it? Yes. Yeah. Oh another little twist. <laughs> So for those listening to this that, you know, I think we've given a lot of places where you could start or think to think about or, or any of those. But is there like somewhere, you know, someone who is in a state of overwhelm or feeling burnt out or you're spread too thin and you don't really, you know, we both have stories of just like. Realizing something needed to change in kind of ungraceful ways that maybe we we went about doing it initially, but like, what's the starting point for that to not have it be? I don't mm. know. Whatever. I think you get what I mean. But
2: yeah, like so for the person that is feeling burned out already, yeah, what do they do next? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of different ways that we can go with this. One is that if you are not willing to make like really, really big changes (laughs) in regard to your career. So for example, you're not willing to hire an associate so you can step out of your practice a bit or entirely. You're not willing to just sell your practice. You're not willing to close your practice. Um, You might have, you know, a lease that has two more years or five more years on it and you are committed to suffering through those five years because you don't like the consequences of closing your practice before the end of the lease, um, which I'm not necessarily advocating for, right? But like there are ways sometimes (laughs) to make changes when you need to. Um, You've got to start taking more time off and creating more intentional space. It doesn't mean that you have to go on vacations. It doesn't mean that you have to spend money to go somewhere elaborate, But you need to take more intentional time away from your business. Um, I suppose that can apply to our children in some sense too, right? Like giving ourselves breaks from our children is generally a healthy but also hard thing to do. So if you've ever felt like you really needed a break from parenting and then you got a break and then you were like, oh, thank goodness. Like this break was so helpful. It works just the same way. And yeah. the biggest thing that stops people is always, I don't know how I could take time off. I if I'm not making, if I'm not working, I'm not making money. Um, that's a symptom of a bigger problem, right? If you are not able to take time off because you're so close to the edge of being able to afford your living and business operating expenses, then that's another thing. And you've talked about profit first that's another okay. thing that needs to be addressed is like you, you need to look at your finances so that you can create that space. Because if you are like in your practice, constantly tied to it, because if you're not, then you're not going to be able to pay the bills. That's not how this is supposed to be working people. <laughs> no, <Nope. laughs> that, that is not what we're here for. We're here for freedom and flexibility and just being wise, like having some mentorship sometimes and some guidance with your finances is um, a game changer. So there's that. But then, like, in a more introspective way, less tactical way, I think it it starts with getting clear on what's actually important to you. And mm-hmm. I just went through an exercise on this this morning. <laughs> it's sort of ironic that we're talking about this now because I've been teaching, like, core value exercises for years, and here I was in this call, and she's like, "Okay, we're gonna like go through this core values exercise." It wasn't quite like that. But that's what I was hearing. Right? Like, I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, all right." So, what's here for me? And and actually, it was it was um, very interesting because the way that she taught it was different than the way I teach mm-hmm. it. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, I learned something that you know I could even pass on as I'm teaching about identifying your core values. Um, but really like knowing what's most important to you, what's truly, truly most important to you is missing for so many people. And when we're not clear on that, we make decisions based upon what we think other people think we should do, or like just what we, what we're kind of guessing, what we think we want, etc. cetera. As I renegotiated my own core values this morning in this new way of looking at them, they changed like the the hierarchy of them it used to be integrity freedom love truth sovereignty what came up for me to, today was integrity health family freedom I was like well this is different <laughs> but there was just a process that she took us through of evaluating like if if this is what you think that it is would you be willing to trade that for this if you think that fitness is your core is like your one of your top three or five core values, would you be willing to um miss your child's soccer game every week to go to the gym instead? And I was like, no. <laughs> so that's not it. Okay, interesting. very interesting. So I arrived at this place where now I'm looking at those top five, and I'm thinking, oh, I get to make some decisions, some different decisions now with this information. And it was exactly what I needed because as I mentioned, I've been going through this sort of all, my own, like up leveling in a sense over the last few months of, okay, cool. I achieved a new level of time freedom that I never thought was possible, but now there's something even, even more expansive calling to me and asking for me to like step into it. And I have a choice to make, right? At first I was like, I need to do the responsible thing. I need to be responsible. I need to just keep doing what I've been known for. And then at a certain point, I thought, I'm either going to say yes to this ask of me, or I'm going to say no. And there's really no right or wrong. But what do I want to be able to look back and say that I did? What do I I want to look back and say that I said yes to? It's not what appears to be the responsible thing. Or I can say no to it, but what do I want to look back, you know, in five, 10, 15, 20 years from now and say, I said yes to that and look where it took me. Um, whereas if I say no, then things are likely to stay the same as they are, which is not bad. It's not bad at all. Um, but I'm ready to explore.
1: Yeah. Which is awesome. I'm so excited for you.
2: You know, I I'll just,
1: kind of tag onto this because i went through my own journey of and i think a couple of years ago i realized that the health base wasn't really my like genius area it you know i'm good at it i i did excellent work as a chiropractor and as a health coach and as i even did a phd in integrative and natural medicine after i decided to move away from chiropractic because of course I need more education but you know, I, I really like what lights me up is business and leadership stuff. And so I just finally gave myself permission to totally pivot earlier this year. And I keep, it's, it's funny when we do that because it's like, I keep trying to like the pendulum will swing and I'll be like, Oh, maybe I'll do this. Like, yeah, I'll get back into practice. And it's like, no, stay in the lane of like, this is what you're being called to. And I think, especially in the world of chiropractic, it can be so limiting and, we don't have to stay so tied to like you have to adjust all day every day, and that's the only way to be a chiropractor. Like there's other things that can call us, or we evolve past that, and that is also okay.
2: Yeah, I heard on a podcast uh, quite a long time ago, It was probably 2015 or 16. Um, a person said, "Chiropractic is a gateway into entrepreneurship," and I was like, "Yeah." Oh, it's so, true. <laughs> That's so much with me, um, because I absolutely love chiropractic. I love the chiropractic lifestyle. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I can't say that I love the student loan debt that we all take on to enter yeah, <laughs> into this profession, but even knowing that I don't, I don't think I would change that. I don't, I wouldn't like not have become a chiropractor because of the student loan debt as crazy yeah. as that might sound to some people. Um, I just, I I love what chiropractic has brought into my life. I love how chiropractic has shaped how I've mothered my children. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, um, I've been very acutely and chronically aware of this immense pressure that I have felt internally and externally to have a you know, brick and mortar practice that is well-established and to look a certain way. Because if you don't have that, then, then what? Right. <laughs> then why don't you, right? Is it because you are not a good chiropractor? Is it because you're not, um, a smart business owner? And really none of those things have to be true. It could just be that, like, that was your stepping stone to the next thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And I don't know about you. I had a lot of like
1: identity crisis shifts that I had to go through in order to allow the stepping to the next thing. Cause it's so ingrained in us, that you know, practice looking certain way and is the thing and all that. And but on the other side, pretty fun. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I feel like we could talk all day, but we can go ahead and kind of wrap up from here. I think we've given everyone a lot to think about. And for those who don't know or aren't familiar, you know, I I think you have a a big name around the world of the women chiropractors, but where can people connect with you or find you or follow what you're creating next? Because I'm excited to see where you're heading as well.
2: Yeah, the best place really is social media. I do have a website. That's a beautiful website. But, um, you know, websites these days are just like a stagnant, static Place and social media is so dynamic. So if you really want to know what I'm yeah. up to, at the moment, <laughs> um, on Facebook and Instagram, I'm I have like two different vibes really on Facebook and Instagram. I don't just like post the same stuff, although some of it is the same in both places. Um, mm-hmm. The platforms work so differently that I've I've found the the platform really likes for you to create content specifically for that platform so i do that on instagram i do that on facebook and it just kind of ends up being a little different
1: <laughs> cool well that's yeah. exciting well i just appreciate you coming on i'll put links to both of your handles in the show notes and yeah just thank you for coming on and having a fun conversation with me and awesome. i'm excited
2: to see where you're headed so. well you're welcome and thank you
0: Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I'm on a mission to help the chiropractic profession heal collectively from the limiting beliefs and broken business models that plague our profession and lead to high rates of burnout. I also believe that women are the ones who are going to do that. I can't do it alone. And so I have two quick asks. One, if you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to leave a review and share it with a colleague. This helps the message reach even more women DCs around the world. And second, if you're a Facebook user, Join me in the Chiropractors Healing Collective, which is a place for us to come together for more support and to heal both as individuals and as a group. There, we engage in discussion, and many of these episodes are actually streamed live so that you can participate and share and get support around many of the topics that we discuss on the show. I appreciate you, and I look forward to joining you on our next episode.